Amen. Do please be seated. So we're going to finish, or you're going to finish, we're going to make you do the work, finish Psalm 51 together. You do not delight in sacrifice, or I would bring it. You do not take pleasure in burnt offerings. The sacrifices of God are a broken spirit and a contrite heart, O God. You do not you will not despise in your good pleasure. Make Zion prosper. Build up the walls of Jerusalem. Then there will be righteous sacrifices, whole burnt offerings to delight you. Then bulls will be offered at your altar. So this evening we have worked through Psalm 51, and I made you do the work. <laughs> so some of those words, I hope, have spoken to you. Um, but the theme this evening is to think about uh, going towards becoming a healing church, and specifically thinking about the theme of healing and forgiveness. Uh, Michael introduced this series last week. Um, I wasn't here to hear it, but by the magic of technology, I can tell you what he said. And he said, our ultimate healing comes through knowing Jesus Christ as our Saviour and our Lord. Through the cross of Christ, he removes our offensive ways, our rebellious, stone-cold hearts, and replaces it with a heart that is capable of love, and which seeks to love him back in grateful obedience. He is able to bring radical healing and reconciliation with him and with others as we commit ourselves to him. Healing and forgiveness. Healing and forgiveness are central to the ministry of Jesus. We read in scripture many examples of his physical healing miracles. And remember that he also declared that he had come to heal the brokenhearted. Forgiveness was also a regular theme in Jesus' ministry. And indeed, the fact that he so openly claimed the ability to forgive sins was one of the ways that he claimed his identity, his divine identity, and one of the many ways in which he so outraged the religious authorities. This is the fact that there is a great divide between God and his people, this great chasm that we've sung about between the holiness and righteousness of God and the sinful nature of humankind. This theme echoes throughout generations. From the beginning in the Garden of Eden, we find this story told and retold throughout Scripture. And God repeatedly calls his people to repentance. And he repeatedly makes a way for forgiveness. Repeatedly, he reconciles his people to himself. This is a story that we know that the people go astray and that a holy and loving God forgives them and makes a way and this cycle, repentance, forgiveness, restoration, reconciliation, this cycle, it's one uh, that if you follow the Jewish calendar, you become familiar with. And by chance, I happened to discover that we very conveniently are bang in the middle of the Jewish month of Elul, which is the period um, just before the Jewish New Year. And it's spent in repentance. It's a time of seeking God's forgiveness so you're ready for the new year. You spend it thinking about all the things that have gone wrong in the year before and trying to put them right by seeking and granting forgiveness and preparing for the holy, holy day of atonement. 
There's so much richness in the Psalms we've worked through tonight. One of the reasons I wanted us to read it together wasn't just that I was feeling lazy, um, but I thought actually the richness of the words were really important. But the phrase that I wanted to pick out, um, just to think about for a few minutes, is this one. Cleanse me with hyssop and I shall be clean. That's the bit we're going to think about. So hyssop is, it's a bushy, woody herb. It's a bit like rosemary. Although I understand that the plant that we think is hyssop isn't the same as the one that grew in the Middle East, which is disappointing because I did specifically buy hyssop from a garden centre once to plant in my garden and apparently it's completely different. But anyway, it's a, it's a bushy, woody herb and it's referenced throughout um, scripture, quite a lot of references to it in Leviticus. It's used regularly in rituals of cleansing. So the idea that hyssop fits the theme of forgiveness and cleansing um, the, the symbolism is very well established. But there's two particular notable references to the hyssop plant in scripture. And both times it's used as a branch to perform a particular task. I did ask uh, my kids as a quiz over breakfast this morning. I think if they knew them, they didn't. Educated. Um, so I'm sure some of you do know. The first example is in the Exodus story. So when the people of Israel are instructed to daub the blood of a lamb above the uh, doorposts, um, it's a hyssop branch they're told to use to do that with. Um, as a sign, uh, you'll remember, of the angel of death to pass over those households. And the other really notable occasion that we see the hyssop branch being used is at the moment of Jesus' death on the cross when a sponge is lifted up for him to have a final drink. It's a hyssop branch that we're told is used for that purpose. And so, like that clip that I played right at the beginning of our service, the mention of hyssop in this uh, passage, I think it reminds us that forgiveness is a powerful thing. It's not a small, easy, trifling matter. God's forgiveness is an audacious thing. It is a life-changing and life-giving act the things that the Passover and the cross uh, speak to us, they speak to us of sacrifice, of death, of blood shed, lives broken. They're not easy things. They demonstrate the powerful, overwhelming nature of the love of God and describe the lengths that the Holy God goes to to meet with us and rescue us. There's nothing half-hearted about God's mercy. The Passover and the cross tell us that the provision of the means of salvation are God's alone. God makes the way. So as we've cried out to God this evening, we've said those words together, cleanse me with hyssop and I shall be clean. I think we're saying to God that we know that we have sinned. And we know specifically... And we recognise that no work or effort of our own can ever restore the damage caused by that separation. So we ask specifically for God's forgiveness, and we ask specifically for the penalty of death to be taken from us. We think about that image of the Exodus story. We ask God to mark us out as one of his people so that the angel of death might pass over us. And we identify with Jesus on the cross grateful that he was prepared to bear our sins so, and die for us. We say it in the communion service, don't we, sometimes? We share in his death 
so that we might also share in his life. Repentance and the forgiveness that flows from God is the starting point for each of us in our individual relationships with God. And a relationship that necessarily has the death and resurrection as its central fact. And I think it's a starting point that we might regularly need to revisit to ground and strengthen our faith. But tonight we need to push a bit further than that starting point and um, we need to think about the relationship between forgiveness and healing and making the link between forgiveness and healing can be problematic Um, and I'm conscious as I kind of uh, I struggle with this and which bits to to think about putting in and and leaving out this evening I realise it's a very very tricky subject On a personal level, have I got cancer because of my sin? Is it unforgiveness or unrepentance in my heart that prevents me from being healed? I would say an uh, emphatic no (laughs) to both of those statements. But there are plenty of people ministering today under a Christian banner who would disagree and would say otherwise. For me, I rest primarily on the fact of my salvation achieved through Jesus on the cross. This is the primary act of forgiveness and the primary act of healing. With relationship with God restored, living and dying become the same thing. Salvation does not make us immortal in this life. But nonetheless, we trust in the salvation of our eternal lives and trust that one day we will meet Jesus face to face in glory where all our sickness will be healed forever. Of course, I also believe that Jesus is alive and at work in the world and in our lives today, and that physical healing is a reality. I've been privileged to see miracles of physical healing, and we know in this church we've prayed for and seen people healed. And I believe this is something we should continue to pray for and look for as the Spirit directs us. But there's something problematic in making the promise of physical healing conditional on repentance or forgiveness. I think this is unhelpful and I believe it is unbiblical. In the ministry of Jesus, we see him exercising both forgiveness and healing. And repeatedly, he makes it clear that the authority to forgive sin is a bigger deal than the ability to heal. And that the need for forgiveness is greater than the need for physical healing. How do we translate these themes of healing and forgiveness into the mission position of our church? What does it mean to be a healing and forgiving community? I think that too often the church has picked up the theme of sin, separation and judgment in its attempt to communicate to the world. Often the the message of the gospel is couched in these terms, that the offer of the gospel is the one of debts paid and judgment satisfied. And while this is true and the message resonates with some, it is becoming increasingly difficult to translate this into our modern world. The idea that there is an absolute standard that we fail to meet or a God with the power to judge and condemn isn't an easy message in today's culture of self-determinism. But the offer of wholeness, of acceptance, is one that is much needed in our world. 
the message of unconditional and unfailing love that seeks out and rescues those who are broken and lost is one that resonates loudly in our society. There's an opportunity of forgiving and being forgiven as a route to reconciliation, healing and well-being. And if we do this right, it should make our churches a beacon of hope in a broken world. So as we think tonight about healing and forgiveness, about making our church a healing community, I think we should think about the position, our mission. How do we position our mission as one of forgiveness and healing? How do we wake, welcome those who were broken and weighed down by sin? Not with a kind of superior judgment, but like the psalmist says, like those words that we've said together, from a position of ourselves having broken and contrite hearts. As ones who know the reality and the power of God's all-sufficient forgiving love and are prepared to generously and sacrificially share that with those who are seeking whether it be through healing services or wellness ministries, getting alongside the lost or the broken, maybe charitable works in the fields of mental health or hospice care, chaplaincy in hospitals and prisons, through accepting those who the world finds unlovable. If we open our eyes and ask the spirit to direct us, I believe there are manifold opportunities for forgiveness-shaped mission that could transform our church into a healing community. I've been thinking recently about how God heals and how God restores. And I want to finish by sharing some words from Isaiah 54, um, starting at verse 10. And I want to say this. When God forgives, he does it perfectly. When God restores, he does it completely. And when God rebuilds, he does it beautifully. Isaiah 54 says this. Though the mountains be shaken and the hills be moved... Yet my unfailing love for you will not be shaken, nor my covenant of peace be removed, says the Lord, who has compassion on you. Afflicted city, lashed by storms and not comforted, I will rebuild you with stones of turquoise, your foundations with ultramarine. I will make your battlements of rubies and your gates of sparkling jewels and all your walls of precious stones. Amen. <laughs>